You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, well, good morning, everyone. What a great morning. I think I love baptisms. Yeah. So um, we are doing a series. Um, if you're new here, we've, we've been doing a series on prayer. And uh, as we've been journeying through this uh, series, we've been looking at different ways that we can pray. We look at some of the challenges uh, in our life in prayer. And uh, one of the things, whenever I think about prayer, whenever I think of what the challenges are with prayer, I'll tell you, one of my challenges with prayer is this. Sometimes... I feel like it's just me talking. Do you ever feel that way? Like I just feel like it's one big monologue. <laughs> and, and sometimes in the morning if I'm running late, I'll say my prayers and then I'm off for the day. Now the problem is, is I know better. I know better because we've been talking like prayer is not just talking at God. It's conversation with God. It comes out of a relationship with the living God of the universe who wants to speak to us personally. But I struggle with this. And part of the reason why I struggle with this is because I'm, I'm, I'm often in a hurry. I'm often busy. My, and even when I'm not busy, my head and my heart are busy. And uh, I think part of the issue that I struggle with, and maybe you do too, is I think I have a real misunderstanding of just the heart of the Father and his desire to hear from me and speak to me. And so that's, this morning, what I'd like to do is, is, is explore the heart of the Father, God the Father. And we're going to do this by looking at a parable that um, Jesus offers. Now, parables, Jesus often taught in parables. Now, what is a parable? A parable is a parallel story that he speaks, and the parallel story intersects with their life. And it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant way to teach because you don't see it coming. And invariably, when Jesus would be speaking parables, people would be like, oh, that's really good. And then once they walked away, it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> that was actually about me, wasn't it? Right? And so Jesus is, is a master of parables. And so one of the parables I want to look at today is a well-known one. Um, but I think it has something to say to us this morning. And it's found in Luke chapter 15. And it's known as a parable of the lost son. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Or you can use your phone or whatever you like. Uh, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to begin in verse 11. In honor of God's word, let's stand together. And you may notice it won't be on the screen. Ha <laughs> ha uh, So you are forced to open these things called books. Yes. Um, <laughs> or you can just listen. Chapter 15, verse 11 in the book of Luke. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went, and I knocked my pencil over there. Yeah. So he went and he hired himself out um, to, a, to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now, this story is a well-known story. Even if you haven't really grown up in the church, you've probably heard the expression of, of, of oh, look, the prodigal son returns, or, you know, the prodigal son this, or prodigal son that. And it's a, it's, it's a story that is quite familiar. But because it's so familiar, we may miss how unusual this story is. Most parables that Jesus offers has one point. This one has at least three. Now, the story, the one that we're probably most familiar with, concerns this younger son. We read about a younger son who does the unthinkable. He comes up to his dad and says, hey, I want my inheritance. Now, in the ancient world, to say that to your father was not only rude, it was tantamount to saying to your father, I wish you were dead. That's what the son asked for. He says, I want my inheritance. I wish you were dead, essentially. And yet, to everyone's surprise, the father gives his son, his sons, their inheritance. Gives the younger son his inheritance, which would be one-third of the estate. And the son with a pocket full of money, sets out and goes off and blows it all at a casino or something like that. Blows it all in wild living, we read. And then things get really bad for this younger son. How bad? Well, we read that a famine breaks out. All that money didn't buy him friends. He has no friends. And so he finds himself a Jew who has to hire himself to look after the most unclean animal, pigs. And if that weren't bad enough, he gets to the point where he's so hungry 
that even the food that the pigs are eating starts to look good to him. He's hankering after pig food. Then we see a turning point, a conversion point, where the younger son comes to his senses, we read. He remembers his home, and he remembers, man, you know at home, even the servants had enough to eat. And so he decides to head home. And on his way home, he's thinking, okay, I, I, have, to, I have to speak to my dad. I have to speak to my dad. And so he formulates a three-part message. The first part is this. He's going to say to his dad, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Not just against you, but also against God. Second, second part. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Third part. Make me as one of your servants. Right? And the whole way back, and it's a long journey, he's, he's, he's running this, this speech through his mind. Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants. And what happens next is absolutely astounding. Now, the problem is, is if you're familiar with this passage, you grow so used to the passage, you grow immune to how staggering this is. The father had been waiting for the son. Every day he'd been looking for his son to return. And upon seeing him, what does he do? He runs out. Now again, in the ancient world, old men don't run. They don't run because in order to run, you have to hike up. You get your knobby knees as an older man. I know about the knobby knees. And so you, you'd have, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. Patriarchs don't run. But he does. And he runs out and he embraces his son and he kisses him. And the son is like, okay, I got the speech. Part one. Father. I've sinned against heaven, and I've sinned against you. And the father's like, yeah, you have. Part two, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. <laughs> you got that right. No part three, though. You notice that? The father does not allow him to say the third part. What does he do? He interrupts him. He says, stop. Gives his son his robe a signet ring, shoes to wear, celebrates his return by slaughtering the fattened calf and having a village-wide celebration. And in doing all this, a father takes upon himself all the shame that should have gone to the younger son. And he restores him as a deeply beloved son. And I think well, in this passage, there's, I mean, there's so much in this. We're getting a glimpse of the heart of the Father, aren't we? We're getting a glimpse of what the prayer of confession ought to look like. God the Father is the one who longs for us to repent, to, to come to our senses, to return to him, to confess our sins, to return to his, his embrace and acceptance. The Father's heart is for you and I to come home as sons and daughters. Now, some of you here this morning need to hear this because you've been wandering for too long and you've just come to church, you're, you're coming back, you're kind of hiding in the corner, 
And you're like, ah, oh, man, I don't know, I don't know. You need to hear this, is that the Father's been looking for you, and his arms are open wide, and he's saying to you this morning, come home. Right? You need to hear this. Come home. Now, those who are listening to Jesus' parable at, at, at this point would have been, wow, what a story. What a picture of God's grace and kindness. God seeks the lost. He seeks the lost, and he welcomes them home. Wow. And I could just see them, just everybody listening to Jesus going, what a story. And, you know, they're pulling out their Kleenexes and they're dabbing their eyes and they're like, wait till I tell my friends about this story. And Jesus says, hang on, I'm not done. I'm not done. There's another side to this story. Because there's another son. And what does he say? Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of his servants and he asked him, what was going on? Well, your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus tells another story here. He tells the story about the older brother. Now, let me ask you this. Why do you think he tells this story? Why does he tell a story about the older brother? Well, I think Jesus knows what we're like. He knows that not all of us have gone off to distant lands and lived wild lives. There are many of us that stayed home and lived lives as the eldest son. Now, what is a typical eldest sibling like? Any eldest siblings here? Let's see those hands. Okay. <laughs> see if I'm close. What are eldest siblings like? Well, they're the ones who only had to be told once to make their bed. They only had to be told once to do their dishes, to do their homework. The eldest had to look, under, look after the younger siblings, right? And if something goes wrong with the younger siblings, who got in trouble? It's the eldest. The eldest, when he or she gets their driver's license, they're the one that have to pick up the other kids from their school activities. The eldest do the right things. They are the model children, obedient and dutiful. Now, some of you are like, ah, 
Okay, some of you are eldest in spirit, right? (laughs) So here we come across the older brother who, according to him, had, get this, had never done anything wrong. I mean, who says that? And that should be our clue. Because as it turns out, the elder brother resented and hated his younger brother, that little punk. He hated his younger brother for, for taking the money, the inheritance, and running off to a faraway country, even though, you have to realize this, when the younger son asked for his money, the older son also got the inheritance. You know that? It's a little clue in the text. The older son also got the money, and he would have got two-thirds of the estate. But despite this money, deep down, maybe the elder son wished he had the freedom to do the same. But no. Oh, no. He's the older brother. He has to stay home. He has to do the right thing. He has to do what was expected of him. But over time, this deep, frozen anger begins to develop. Yeah, I'm the good son. But in his heart was a heart that grew harder and harder, but would leak poison of resentment and jealousy. So let me ask you the awkward question. How many of you get stuck here? How many of you have ever experienced that frozen resentment? I mean, this obviously is the issue for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious heat of the day. They were religious leaders. And they're the ones who, in their eyes, did nothing wrong. Followed all the rules. But for our purposes, how how many Christians get stuck here in their prayer life? Now, I've seen it over and over again. I've seen many Christians experience this frozen anger. They're They're so concerned with avoiding sin and being a good Christian that they secretly resent it whenever they see someone who's lived a wild lifestyle suddenly experience the forgiving grace of God. Now they know, they know, they know the right things. They know that, yes, God is gracious. They know that, yes, God will forgive and that God welcomes us back. Yes, we know that. We believe that, yes, God is a God of love. But man, it should not be that easy for this guy. I mean, I get it. Yes, he's great. But do you know what he did? Do you know how he lived his life? That little punk. He thinks he could just come back. Every day, I've done nothing wrong. I've done everything right. And this guy thinks, oh, I can come back to God. And it's that easy. It's not that easy. It's not fair. I'm the good one. Not him. Not her. Well, it turns out that this parable is also about lostness. (laughs) Both sons were lost. 
But you know what? The lostness of the elder son is more dangerous. Do you know why it's more dangerous? Because nobody can see it. Even the eldest son can't see it. I mean, on the surface, if you look at the eldest son, he's, he's got it all together. I mean, he's, he leads a small group, right? He's an elder. Oh, probably a prayer warrior. See, the thing is that the, the eldest brothers, men and women, they look the part. They look like they got it all together, and nobody's going to suspect that their hearts are as hard as stone. They look like fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, but their hearts are as dry as dust. You see, in this parable, the overall parable, the, the lawbreakers are easy to spot. It's easy to spot the lawbreaker. It's harder to spot a lawkeeper. A lawkeeper is also in deep need of grace. And so we find the elder son coming in from the fields and hearing music and dancing. And he hears music and dancing and he gets mad. That should be a clue. This should have been exciting for him. But instead of joy and excitement, what do we see in the sun? We see suspicion. There we go. He hears what should have been good news. But he feels nothing but anger. So let me ask you the question. Do you ever feel angry when something goes well for someone else? And you know you shouldn't feel angry, but you do. The elder son shows frozen anger towards his younger brother. Because his younger brother shamed his father. And not only had the nerve to come back, but apparently he wasn't even punished. What? You're telling me dad ran out to that little punk? He ran? Are you kidding me? And now what? We're going to have a party for, for, for little bro. A party for him. Guess who's paying for that party? I'm paying for that party. Okay, now what does all this have to do with the prayer of confession? Well, actually quite a bit. You and I cannot have a vibrant prayer life without repentance and confession. And repentance is not living up to some standard. It's not following the law. Repentance is turning around and coming home and confessing the stuff that lies in our hearts. But the eldest son can't do this. He can't do this. Look what he does. He sulks, he stews, he closes his heart to the father, and he refuses to go in and join the celebration. Now, 
in refusing to go in, the son is actually shaming the father more than the younger brother did. By not coming in, especially within a Middle Eastern culture, children are expected to be present during a celebration for an honored guest. And the other thing, the shame, is that he's publicly not going in. And so everybody can see that the elder son is not participating in this. And in doing so, he's shaming the father. Now, some of you from Eastern backgrounds, Eastern, uh, from East Asia, you know that to publicly shame an older person is really bad. In Chinese, you talk about jiu you lose face. You're causing your father to lose face. Now, notice the next part. What, how does the father react to all this? Anger, indignation, resentment? Does he say, well, you self-righteous so-and-so? No. What does the father do? Exactly what he did with the younger son. He goes out to meet them, to meet him. He goes to his son. And the father's love is such that he wants both boys to sit at the same table and to participate in joy. And so the father goes out to the elder son. And again, in doing so, the father's humiliating himself. Now, unlike the younger son who has a speech ready, oh, <laughs> the elder son has a speech ready, but it's a little different. And the elder son comes up to his father. And what does he say to him? Look. The son says, Father. The older son says, look, look. All these years, I've, I've been slaving away. I've done nothing wrong, nothing. And do you give me anything? Do you give me anything? Nothing. And in this speech, the older son, his heart's exposed. And it turns out all those years of obedience and duty, living as a model son, was exposed for what it truly was. Turns out the elder brother had lived a life of rebellion against his father. But nobody could see it. And the elder brother lays into his father. And notice what he says. He says, he says your son, your son, not my brother, your son, <laughs> my brother, your son does all this and gets away with it. And he questions his father's judgment. Now, in all of this, something ominous is revealed. It turns out all these years, the older brother never considered himself a son. He spent all of his days, what? Serving and never disobeying. So how does he think of his relationship with his father? He sees himself as what? as a slave, not a son. In many ways, the older brother is living out the third part of the younger brother's speech. Third part was make me as a slave. The older brother lived as a slave. He was trying to measure up to a standard that he could never reach. He's a slave, get this, he's a slave trying really hard to 
earn his way to be a son. And he's trying to earn something that can only be freely received. Oh my, and how many Christians fall into this? How many of us try so hard to earn our way into sonship or daughtership? I've done all the right things. God must love me now. And we're trying to earn our way into God's grace by living a righteous life and resenting people who don't live as well as we live. And you know what happens? We fall into this, and what happens? And, and I can tell when a person's fallen into this. I can, I, I can tell when I fall into this. You know what happens? We lose our joy. We become glum, heavy, resentful towards anyone who seems to be living in freedom. Oh, and the church has no shortage of these people. And we fail to realize when we try so hard to earn our way into sonship, do you know what we've, you know what we've forgotten? The cross. We've forgotten the cross. Every week, I've been pastoring for 24 years, every week I encounter a follower of Jesus Christ who has forgotten the cross. Every week. I'm trying so hard. Oh, God's got to be really mad at me now because I did this. I shouldn't have done this. I should, I should do this, get back on his good side. Oh, he's probably still really mad at me. You forgot the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn or deserve our sonship or our daughtership, right? It's a free gift. And you know what? You know what the Father's desire is for you this morning? Is for you to turn around and come home. Just come home. Because a father wants children, not slaves. And that's what the father says. He says to his son, he says, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. And the father is full of grace and his heart is open. The younger son, he says, come home. To the older son, he says, come in. And so one of our keys to prayer, to a life of prayer, is to recognize and confess that on our own, you and I bring nothing to the table. We cannot earn our way into God's family. We cannot work our way up to being sons and daughters. You can try, you can try, but the theological term to describe your state when you try this is what? Your toast, exactly. <laughs> You're right, your toast. And what will happen is you'll end up like the older son. And you'll be consumed with anger, guilt, self-righteousness, and it will kill you. It will kill your prayer life, and it'll kill your family, your relationships. And so the Father says to you today, come home. Come in. And we enter in through repentance and confession. His arms are wide open. So, how do we pray into this? I'm just going to leave you with a couple thoughts. One, in your prayer, be honest with God. Don't pray how you think you ought to pray. Be honest. It's not like God doesn't know. Oh, Lord, you are so gracious. I'm so joyful. Yeah, no, he knows. He knows. Why? Why bother? 
Don't put on a mask. He knows what's going on, so you may as well be honest. So be completely honest with God. If you're angry, tell him that you're angry. Secondly, keep short accounts before God. Come is, is what uh, Pastor Sam was, was preaching the other day, just about throughout the day, pay attention and, and, and take opportunities to pray. Thirdly, find a good friend. Do you have someone in your life where you can take the truck, back it up, and empty it? Say, look, man, this is what's going on. Do you have a friend like that? If not, find one. If you can't find one, we'll help you find one. That's why we do life groups. That's why we do so many things. In the, our whole men's ministry, focus of our men's ministry is just a forum for friendship. That's all it is. So find a friend. And I've said this before. You've heard me say this. But look for this in a friend. Find someone who loves you but is not impressed with you. Right? Don't get a fan. Find someone who's like, yeah, man, I love you, but that was really stupid. Right? Finally, keep the cross before you. The cross prevents us from oh, the wandering heart of the prodigal son and the self-righteous heart of the eldest brother. The cross reminds us of grace that at any point because of the cross, you and I can boldly approach the throne of grace. Come before the Father. Now I found as I get older, confession changes. How I confess has changed. When I was a younger person, when I prayed confession, it was sort of like, God, I sh I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done this, I shouldn't have done this, I probably should have done this, but I didn't do this. The older I get, what I've learned is that, oh man, my sin goes so deep. <laughs> my sin goes deep, deep, deep inside to my heart. And I see over and over again that I'm bent towards thinking things, doing things, saying things that do not honor God. And the older I get, I just see how deep my sin goes. But there's something else that also happens. As I get older, yes, I see how deep my sin goes. But something else happens is I see how deep God's grace goes. Oh, he's so gracious. And so I was thinking of, of my man, John Newton, 18th century, former slave trader, wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton, when he was dying, he was 82 years old, and he said this, he was hardly able to speak, and he says this, quote, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner, and that Christ is a great savior. Amen? All right, let's pray. Jesus, we come before you as we are, with all the mess in our hearts, and we lay it before you. And we know that we can boldly approach the throne of grace because of your completed work on the cross. We know that we can come home, that we can come in, and that we are received with open arms by your Father because of your work on the cross. You are a great Savior. And our sin does run very deep. But today, we take our anger, we take our frustration, we take all the stuff that's consuming us, and we lay it before you. And we rest in your arms. 
grant us a peace that comes from knowing and being known by you. You love us so much, and so we come before you, and in doing so, we come home. Welcome us home, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.